This summer, a story of a young girl. Hi, I'm Melanie. And the boy who just wants a chance at love. My name is The Silence, and I was wondering if you would like to maybe, I don't know, go for a drink sometime. Hi, I'm Melanie. God damn it. But he's about to turn her world upside down. Melanie. Ah, uh, hi. Sorry, how do you know my name? We've been through this, oh my god. Now, the only thing standing between The Silence and true love... Hi, I'm Melanie. I know your fucking name, Melanie. ...is a little thing called memory. This summer, be sure to watch the hit romantic comedy, Silence is Golden. Hi, I'm Melanie. You know, ironically, I'm starting to wish you'd shut up. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Doctor Is In. I am your host, Paul Verhoeven. Lovely to see you. And this week on the show, we have a chat with the executive producer of Doctor Who. Oh man, love this guy. The totally charming and utterly wonderful Brian Minchin pops in for a chat. And when I say pops in, I mean he. we, we talked for way too long. Uh, it was a very long interview and it was very good. And goddamn, I'm so excited about you guys hearing it. Also, uh, we take a look at my favorite doctor out of all of them, Paul McGann, the eighth doctor. Yes. I don't know if that's controversial, but it's it's the truth. He is the winner, incidentally, of the Doctor with the Highest Cheekbones competition 10 years running, by which I mean every year I call Paul McGann and tell him how nice his cheekbones look. Uh, but first, let's get to the interview, because I'll be honest, um, there's not a great deal of Doctor Who news this week, and even if there was, there wouldn't be room for it, because me and Brian went a little bit over time. So here we go, executive producer of Doctor Who and I, Brian Minchin. <laughs> You must be exhausted at the moment. This season seems to be very, very big and very dense. How are you How are you coping with the workload? You've been doing this since 2013, but is this different from any other season for you? Uh, this season has felt like it's our biggest yet. And, um, I mean, we all want to do this show because we get a bit of a buzz from doing big-scale things and doing ambitious <laughs> things. And um, so it kind of keeps us going. Actually, I, I mean, even now... Um, I'm just watching the final version of Mark Gatiss' episode 9, and we're two weeks away from filming our Christmas special. So the whole team here thrives on being, the whole team really thrives on being busy. I mean, it's a bit of a, uh, but what's really great is, you know, you watch stuff go out, like I watched Extremis go out, and I had people I knew working TV here going, where was that lake? How did you do this? How did you do that? And it's such a clever team of people here. They can put together, you know, all the ambition and stuff we dream up in our scripts, they kind of bring it to life in such an exciting way. You sound like, and I mean, I've talked to addicts before, and you sound like someone who's addicted to something that they really, <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not implying that Doctor Who is bad for you, but you do sound like, you know when someone's, like, their eyes get a bit wide and their mouth gets a bit wetter than normal and they speak a bit faster? Like, are you, are you, are you a Doctor Who addict? Is that what's happening? So you'd be, you'd have to be made of stone not to get a buzz from that. So 
think we know that, I mean, everyone who comes to the show really loves it. We know there's people right around the world who are kind of pouring over every detail. And that's a lovely feeling, and that's quite rare. You know, you make TV, you when you do anything creative and put stuff out there, you know, the big wish is to be noticed. And on Doctor Who, you know, you certainly are. Yeah, but do you ever let that go to your head? Like, because you have a lot of power. Have you ever used your role to push something through that, you know, like like amp up a romantic storyline or remove something that personally irks you? Do you ever let your own agenda as a fan kind of intrude upon your... Do you ever abuse your authority is what I'm trying to say? <laughs> You're asking, have I gone power mad? <laughs> <laughs> In my ivory power yes. causing mayhem. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's... There's a lot of people involved. I mean, Stephen's ultimately the creative showrunner. Um, and it's our, I don't know, I, I guess I wouldn't be the person to say whether I'd be used that position or not. I think that would be something for other people to say. Sure. I guess everyone who's got Doctor Who has, you know, it's quite unique because it's been around for so long. Hmm. People have their own version of what the show should be in their head. Sure. And it's my job to make Stephen and Peter and Pearl and Matt's version now. So that does mean, you know, it's interesting what you say, that we do we do push things through all the time because we're making we're making Doctor Who in a certain way right. this season. Hmm. And we're taking people on a journey with it. And as you see, we've started off with certain types of storytelling. And uh, episode six was kind of more involved, a bit more complex, and we're going to continue with that for a bit, and mm. then we're going to lead people to a huge finale. So it's kind of like, so I guess it's part of the job of an exec is to kind of, once we've agreed that a series is going to have a shape and a tone, just making sure that goes all the way through. So I don't think, but I think that's just me doing my job. I don't, I don't think it's abusing power. <laughs> but like I said, you should maybe ask other people. Right. You <laughs> Just Google, is Brian Minchin a monster? You can do a Twitter vote. Sure, okay. I'll do a poll, uh, and I'll see what people actually think of you. Be abused. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so in, in the metaphor, right, so you said that you're kind of guiding the ship a little bit. So if Doctor Who is like a car, right, and, you know, Pearl and Peter and yeah. Stephen and all the writers and stuff are passengers, are you the driver or are you the car or is this metaphor garbage? Like, what, what, what is your role as an executive producer? What, what are you actually doing for, for the lay folk? Because, you know, it can be kind of an abstract title for people who have never been involved in production before. So, I guess... Okay, when you're with a metaphor... Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe I'm driving the car of production yeah, yeah. and Stephen's sitting beside me Telling, telling me which way he wants the car to go. Yep. And then we're like your parents at the front of a car arguing constantly about which way to go while it's moving forward. Oh, it's, it's keeping up appearances. So he's Hyacinth and you're whoever the husband was and he's backseat driving. Is that what he's doing? <laughs> I can't possibly agree to that. All I right. Can't possibly, no, no. <laughs> I can't possibly. I'm just trying to make a teacher just not... Um, Okay now. Of course. Um, no, he's no, no. I mean, he's meant to be the navigator act as well. He's the showrunner. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's creatively telling us where to go. But if you want to go with a car metaphor, I do. Um, <laughs> that's probably the best I can do. Sure. Okay. He's probably got Stephen's. Probably got Stephen's. Like you know, like the car learners use. He's probably got like an auxiliary steering wheel and auxiliary brakes as well. Yeah. Which is sometimes he's 
Yeah, but I'm also thinking that the only other case those other wheels pop up is when you have a kid that you want to humour and you give them a fake wheel that doesn't actually work. <laughs> no, no, um, I think if anyone who works on Doctor Who knows, Stephen definitely, Stephen is definitely steering the car. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure it is a car, though. It's more interesting than that. I mean, it's more a spaceship. Sure, sure. With We're lots flying of... a spaceship right. around, trying to show off. We're trying to show off to people on the spaceship, and we're—I mean, because my Doctor Who is, and I, you know, every episode so different. We're we're kind of learning how to do each story each time, and when you say it is addictive, the show because you know other show you get to do a haunted house story with someone like Matt Bartlett, or you get to do a Victorian story with someone like Sarah Dollard and talk about big issues. So every, we're always trying to work out how to do Doctor Who. Do you think, um, we're always trying to work out how to drive, how to fly the spaceship better. Oh, it's a TARDIS. That's what it is. Lots of random levers. You don't know, know exactly what they do, but you're all just sort of pulling them and hoping for the best and generally getting where you need to go. I yeah. know. Yes. I know on a picture of me and Stephen at the front of a spaceship with all the actors at the back. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, uh, and then hopefully it's it's never going to crash dude this this thing is going to fly forever and i mean you've been your perspective must be very interesting because you're a writer as well and you've been a script editor and a lot of stuff and do you think that helps being a producer but also having seen you know the page from the other side yes yes and i think on doctor who the answer to everything is always in the scripts yeah. it's always in the writing mm. that's where it goes well that's where it goes wrong so i think um i find that in basketball um and, you know, it's, uh, make, you know, Doctor Who has got such a rich legacy. We get to make all this stuff up. It's great. Do you feel, um, I mean, is that, can that be a bit of a burden sometimes? Like feeling the pressure of, like the weight of that legacy bearing down on you? Or is it just, is it purely a joyful experience? When it's going well, it's purely a joyful experience. <laughs> when we're working out how to make it better, it's not quite working. We're going, oh God, <laughs> look how good those episodes were. Um. But, I mean, that's not sure of kind of any show I'd have thought. Do you get... I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out what... Because there's obviously a lot of perks to what you do, and there's obviously a lot of nuance. But, so, I mean, things like yeah. ca casting, as executive producer, how much of a hand do you have in things like casting and deciding who gets a look in? Oh, well, me and Stephen and uh, the director and the producer of that episode decide that between us. Sure. Um, so we get we have a, we have an absolute say on all casting. I mean, um, we've worked with Andy Pryor, who's our casting director for years now, and he's so and he understands the show, and he always brings great people in. Yeah. Um, but yes, but yes. So we're Stephen and I are, are across all the casting. Okay, so you've, you're deciding who gets in the car, not just driving it with whatever. It's not a car. God, we established yes. it's not a car, right? Absolutely. <laughs> But I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic part because I mean, I love actors. I mean, when you when you've got to the stage where you're hearing an actor breathe life into a character or, or a role, that's a really exciting place to be in because that's where you see it all starting to work and starting to pull together. Yeah, I can imagine, and it must be weird being because your involvement with the it was like it was it was really exciting. Like, um, just to give you an example, when we did knock knock with my. Butler, that role of a landlord was good and it was interesting. Mm. And then Andy Pryor kind of gives a gives a list of people, and all of us went, "Oh my god!" If David Suchet was a landlord, just oh. imagine what that would be. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. 
the whole thing and just just being able to kind of like hear him in that part and him in a room with Peter Capaldi, that was kind of electric. So that was really exciting. I would love, I mean, obviously the show is still happening right now and production is still happening, but you know, you hear those kind of, those stories about who almost got cast as Indiana Jones. You hear Tom Selleck was almost cast as Indiana Jones and you're like, that would have been a train wreck, but I would love to have seen that. I would love to come back to you in a few years and find out who almost got those iconic roles and just sort of, we can just collectively go, like, what kind of a show was that? Like, like casting your mind back a few years, are there any main roles that were almost played by people that would have been kind of nuts that you can go into or is, is it is it too soon i think it's too soon you asked it in a really charming way <laughs> so I'm not attempted, but i think it, it kind of it kind of is too soon and also for me once an actor's become that character i've really moved on in my head of course yeah yeah i don't kind of go back and think oh what would it have been like if that person was if that person was there but uh but no i mean it's kind of it's kind of interesting, I guess, but it isn't something we ever think about. We're, we're quite rigorously focused on making what we're doing now and the next thing. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of the next thing... Who would like, you have liked, oh, sorry, go on, go on. liked to have seen in, in other roles? Who would you have liked to have seen in other roles? Uh, wait, you mean of The Landlord? Yeah. Oh, Tom I mean, Selleck, obviously. Tom Selleck would have been great, wouldn't she? <laughs> Tom Selleck, Woody Goldberg... <laughs> um, <laughs> Just, I think, you know, you've... Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe would be fine. Rusty's good. Russell Crowe is a line villain. But Rusty... Oh, no, could he play the Doctor? Do you think Russell Crowe could get a look in? We're, we're one of the colonies. We're technically, like, UK adjacent, culturally. Do you think we could get an Australian on board? <laughs> I mean, it's, this is all up to Chris Chibnall now, but um, <laughs> I would say that if you're asking about Russell Crowe, I mean, why not? He's great, isn't he? He's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they say, because the Doctor, not since Pertwee has a Doctor had the potential to, because Russell Crowe used to have a reputation for being a wee bit punchy, he's moved past that, but Pertwee used to just smash people in the face, so I'm thinking if we wanted a Pertwee-era Doctor, yeah. you know. The Doctor's not known for being physically intimidating, I guess. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yes, yes, no, I'm just, the, the delay occasionally does cause havoc, because by the time I start riffing with oh, you, yeah. we are just basically, like, skipping around each other at, at alternate but, ends of... But of, I've seen... Uh, I saw Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind. He's great. But um, you just want Australians on the show, don't you? <laughs> well, no. We've got Daniel Nerheim. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I just, I, can I be honest? There was a point where, because um, every, everybody wants to be in Doctor Who or be, you know, related to Doctor Who. And somehow I think having an Australian Doctor would maybe make me feel one step closer. But then I realised that I already feel close to the Doctor. But, I mean... Obviously, the casting's out of your hands, but dream scenario, budget and time notwithstanding, who would you cast as the Doctor, even just as, like, for one episode? I think I might not answer that. I think it might. <laughs> I think Chris is going to get the perfect person to be the Doctor. Yes. No, I'm sure he will. And it won't be about... But it won't be about... It will, it will be the perfect person. I mean, I, I mean, I love all the Doctors. I mean, who we've got... I mean, I can't wait to see who's next. Yeah, no, I... I I'm glad I'm going to find out, like... So you get to find out like, like a. Time when a show does that. Yeah, but I mean, it's it must be it must be insane being there when that's happening. But the Doctor isn't the only character. I wanted to just ask you one more question before you run because I know you're very very busy. Um, you've been involved in Torchwood in many different forms, comics, audio dramas, yes. you know, Children of Earth. Yes. Um, when is Captain Jack coming back? Legal Fufra notwithstanding, I miss him a lot, and I think like 
Do you want to see him back in the show? Can you envisage any scenarios in which it would be plausible to bring him back from a narrative standpoint? I mean, from a narrative standpoint, I think so, yes. He's, um, I mean, there's a couple of new audio plays come out, which he's in, which are really, really good, which Russell's overseen. Um, I know John's been hugely busy and successful over in America at the moment, so I, I, I don't know quite what he's up to. But I guess all these things are kind of up to Chris now. Sure, okay. So I don't want to, uh, I mean, and he, he wrote on Torchwood, he knows John, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'd be speculating the same as you. So, I have no inside info on that. So what you're saying is I am on the same level as the executive producer of Doctor Who right now. That is very, that's a very strange feeling. Well, John, well, no, um, I know that Chris has got all these plans, he's... He's, he's apparently got a house in Cardiff now and he's filled it full of whiteboards and he's meeting there and he's planning episodes and, and uh, I feel like going up to the windows and trying to peer through the curtains to find out what's going on, but um, I've, I've resisted that so far. Okay, well, how about we both like fight that urge for a little bit longer, but then we meet in, say, a month uh, outside his house at night with a glass cutter and we just sort of stage a cat burglary and, you know, just, just go nuts, find out what's going on. Or is that way outside your purse? <laughs> Cost a lot of money, yeah. Because I want to cover my airfares, all right. So I got to cover my airfares. So we'll find a good fence. We'll get in. We'll get some. You get some silverware, and then we'll just, you know, maybe just spend a week just going coast to coast, just touring gastro pubs. How does that sound? Gastro pubs, right? But I have a question for you. Yeah. Okay. This one we always, I always get asked, what's coming up? What are the stories? What are the characters? And do you think deep down in their heart, people want to know stuff in advance, or would they rather? discover it in the, in the episode. And I genuinely don't know, because people always seem to want to know what's coming up, but deep down, would they rather find out? What do you think? I think it's like... Uh, it... Delayed gratification is great. Like, the, the wanting something and knowing that you're going to get it is the good part. The second you find out, that's that's done. So even though I think they ask, they don't actually want to know. See, when you said I can't tell you, but you had a slight twinkle in your, not eye, because I can't see you. So let's say your mouth, but twinkle in your mouth sounds like a medical condition. So let's say instead you just sounded a bit gleeful and like you knew something. That's what I wanted. I wanted the, I wanted the hint, the promise. I didn't want to be told because that's, as River Song would say, spoilers. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I get it. What a terrible... Like, so we told everyone John Sim was going to come back because we know that's exciting and yeah. also he was spending six weeks in Carla, but we're not going to tell you how or why. Sure. So, I mean, I think it's great for this secret. I like the fact that I don't know stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, me, me too. And I mean, the not knowing is what makes it magical. If you know it, if you know what's going on, it's not magic, it's science. And as Stephen pointed out the other week when I talked to him on the show, he said the show is really, it's less science and it's, it's more magic. The Doctor is basically space Gandalf at this point. <laughs> I, I love the idea of the Doctor as space Gandalf. I just love the idea of him just smoking pipe weed and it getting caught in the fire in the um, smoke detectors on the TARDIS and then it floods and then that's a whole other... You know what, I'll just send you some spec scripts and you can see what you think because this is... Uh, we're running long. But um, I have had such a good time uh, talking to you. So, I mean, I guess thank you and I'll see you in Cardiff with, at night at some point. I can absolutely say in all my time, this is, this is the best interview 
questions I've ever had oh. and the most fun. So thank you. You're very. I will, I will see you outside Christian's house with the glass cutter. Right. We'll find out the secret. Just, just don't tell him, all right? Because then it's not a burglary; it's an assault, and I don't want to bust in there. I don't want to go loud. I want a quiet heist. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's time now for Doctor Who Cliff's notes, and let me start with a frankly tortured metaphor. Have you ever gone and bought a hamburger? Let me finish. Have you ever bought a burger and taken a bite and the meat in the burger is amazing? Like, it is amazing. It's the best beef ever. You are going to be thinking about that meat all day. Don't be rude. But the bun, the lettuce, the tomato and cheese all taste like someone took a dump in a gym sock and piffed it at your face. So you can't rightly carry onwards in your life with fond memories of the burger as a whole, but you're pretty sure that if you put the patty in anything else, it would win awards and maybe, just maybe, help you forget aforementioned piffing. Well, I told you it was a torture metaphor, don't look at me like that. That is Paul McGann's Eighth Doctor. Stunningly, staggeringly good, crammed in a butt sandwich called Doctor Who the Movie. Now, that's right, for those of you who don't know this, uh, there is a Doctor Who movie. Let's not dwell on this too long, because much like the sandwich I was talking about, it kind of stinks, and I don't want to get sick of my own beard. So, Let's paint a picture. It was a 1996 made-for-TV movie that was a co-production between the BBC and Fox. So let's just quickly roll through some pros and cons, all right? Con. It starred Eric Roberts as the worst incarnation of the master ever. Con. It was tacky as hell. Con. The writers put the Eye of Harmony, which is the black hole that they trapped and that the Time Lords used to power all their TARDISes, in the movie, they just popped it inside the Doctor's TARDIS, and they've never dealt with that plot hole again. Con, it was tacky as hell. I know I covered that already, but it's such a big con, I thought I should give it a bit of a revisit. Uh, well, it's not all bad. There are some pros. Pro, we get to see Sylvester McCoy's seventh Doctor regenerate into McGann in spectacular fashion. Another pro, it was the best TARDIS interior of any Doctor Who series ever. It's like an Edwardian library, and I absolutely love it. It's worth watching for the TARDIS alone. Pro, and this is what we're going to be talking about mostly, McGann. He is a goddamn powerhouse of an actor, and every scene with him in it sings. Now, the telly movie, funnily enough, failed to bring Doctor Who back from oblivion. That, that wouldn't happen until Russell T. Davies revived it years later with Eccleston. But it did lead to some fantastic Eighth Doctor novels and comics. But where, in my opinion, McGann got his crack at making Eight the best Doctor ever was in the ongoing Big Finish audio adventures. This is where he met Charlotte Pollard, one of the best Doctor Who companions of all time, by saving her from a Zeppelin doomed to crash in the uh, audio adventure Storm Warning, which I recommend listening to. By the way, normally at the end of Cliff's Notes, I give a list of episodes to, to watch. Um, I can't in all, you know what, yeah, watch the movie, but what I'm going to do now is rattle through the big finish stuff so you get a kind of feeling of what you should, what you should get into. So you can start with Storm Warning and Charlotte Pollard. Those adventures continue through to The Girl Who Never Was, and I think some of the best Doctor Who storytelling you will ever witness takes place in those years. Now, in the eighth, in the new Eighth Doctor Adventures, he traveled with Lucy Miller, another of the best companions ever, until they parted into the death. Now, it's called To the Death, so it's not a sunny finish, but it's very good. Uh, Eight then tried to kill himself, again, I didn't say it was sunny, at the start of a new series called Dark Eyes, where he met Molly O'Sullivan, another incredible companion. And Dark Eyes has, and I mean this, writing as good as, if not better, than all or most of the current Doctor Who TV outings. And when Dark Eyes wrapped up, 
They started a new series called Doom Coalition, which is, again, very good. The size and breadth and ambition of these incredible stories, like they're spanning decades since the show finished, is breathtaking. And Paul McGann uh, continues to breathe life into the most human, the most interesting, and the most charming, and the most passionate doctor with the best cheekbones, goddammit. There has been no jokes for the last few minutes because I've been so breathlessly... Uh, swept up in how much I love the Eighth Doctor. And we finally got to see his regeneration in Night of the Doctor, which was like a little um, precursor to the Day of the Doctor, the 50th anniversary special. So if you haven't seen it, bloody see it. And in that, he actually says the names of his Big Finish companions, which makes Big Finish canon. I I swear to God, I almost flipped the table. I was so happy when that happened. Anyway, that's all the time we have for uh, Doctor Who Cliff's Notes this week. Next week, we get to look at Christopher Eccleston's short-lived and tragically cut short Ninth Doctor. What was his catchphrase again? Terrific! Damn it, that's not right at all. God damn it. Sadly, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of The Doctor Is In. Extra special thank you to the bloody executive producer of Doctor Who, Brian Minchin. Brian, thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you in Cardiff. Tools out. And uh, also, a very special guest is coming up on next week's episode. I promise you will be very excited. And Like, all this build-up about guests is not going to let you down. Unlike the build-up of what the bloody monks were up to. Yeah, I said it. Anyway, uh, my name is Paul Verhoeven. This is The Doctor Is In. And I will see you next week for more of the podcast. I should have scripted this ending. Oh, life, eh? What are you going to do? <laughs>